Chapters 80, 81, and 82 of Ruth Hall by Fanny Fern. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 80 Ruth returned from her daily walk to the post office one morning with a bundle of letters, among which was one from Mr. Walter. Its contents were as follows. Dear Sister Ruth, I wonder if you are enjoying your triumph half as much as I. But how should you, since you do not know of it? Your publishers inform me that orders are pouring in for your book faster than they can supply them. What do you think of that? Floy, you have made a decided hit. How lucky that you have the foresight to hold on to your copyright. Eight hundred dollars will not be a circumstance to the little fortune you are going to make. Your success is glorious, but I don't believe you are half as proud of it as I am. And now I know of what you are thinking as well, as if I were by your side. Tis of the little exile, tis of Katie. You would fly directly to bring her home. Can I be of any service to you in doing this? Business takes me your way after tomorrow. Can you curb your impatience to see her till then? If so, I will accompany you. Please write me immediately. Yours truly, John Walter. Ruth tossed the batch of letters down unopened, and sprang to her feet. She tossed up Nettie. She kissed the astonished child till she was half strangled. She laughed. She cried. And then she sat down with her forehead in both her hands for a prolonged reverie. What good news about the book! How could she wait two days before she brought back Katie? And yet it would be a happy thing that Mr. Walter, whose name was synonymous with good tidings, should be associated with her in the return of the child. Yes, she would wait. And when Katie was secured, what then? Why, she would leave forever a city fraught with such painful associations. She would make her a new home. Home? Her heart leaped. Comforts for Nettie and Katie, clothes, food, earned by her own hands. Tears trickled through Ruth's fingers, and her heart went out in a murmured prayer to the God of the widow and fatherless. "'May I play house with these?' said Nettie, touching Ruth's elbow and pointing to the unopened letters. "'No, little puss,' said Ruth, "'not yet. Wait a bit till I have glanced at them.' And she broke the seal of one." it was an offer of marriage from a widower he had read an article of hers on stepmothers and was very sure that a woman with such views could not fail to make a good mother for his children he was thirty-five good-looking every man who had written her a love-letter was good disposition warm-hearted would love her just as well as if he had never bent an adoring knee to mrs dorrance number one was not at all set in his ways in fact preferred she should in everything save him the trouble of choice would live in any part of the union she desired provided she would only consent to the union these last two words mr dorrance had italicized as indicating probably that he considered it a pun fit even for the critical eye of the authoress oh pshaw cried ruth throwing the letter to nettie make anything you like of it puss it is no value to me the next letter ran as follows madam 
I have the honor to be guardian to a young southern lady, an orphan of large fortune, who has just completed her education. She has taken a suite of apartments and given me orders to furnish them without regard to expense, according to her fancy. I have directions to procure busts of Mrs. Hemans, Miss Landon, and several other distinguished female writers, among whom Miss Leroy includes Floy. I have not the pleasure, madam, of knowing your true name, with whose writings she has become familiar, and who is as great a favorite with her as she is with the multitude who have paid tribute to her genius. Please send me a line, my address below, allowing me to inform my ward how her favorite wish can best be carried out. Yours truly, Thomas Pierce. Ruth glanced around her little dark room and smiled. I would rather, instead, that an artist would take a sketch of my room now, said she, that little black stove where I have so often tried in vain to thaw my frozen fingers, that rickety old bed, the old deal table, with its yellow bowl of milk, that homemade carpet, those time-worn chairs, and then you, my little bright fairy, in the foreground, and she pushed back the soft, glossy curls from Nettie's fair brow. No, no said Ruth, better reserve the niche destined for Floy to some writer to whom ambition is not the hollow thing it is to me. Well, what have we here? Another letter. Ruth broke the seal of letter number three and read, Dear Madam, I am a poor devil and worse editor. Nevertheless, I have started a paper. If you will but allow me to put your name on it as assistant editress, I am sure it will go like a locomotive. If, in addition to this little favor, you could also advance me the sum of one hundred dollars, it would be an immense relief to your admirer, John Staples. P.S. Be sure to direct to John K. Staples, as there is another John Staples in this place who is a great rascal. J.K.S. Well, exclaimed Ruth, I did not believe I should ever be astonished again, but then I had not heard from Mr. Staples. But here is another letter. Let us see what the contents of number four are. Letter number four ran as follows. Dear Floy, I am a better son, a better brother, a better husband, and a better father than I was before I commenced reading your articles. May God bless you for the words you have spoken, though unintentionally, so directly, to me. May you be rewarded by him to whom the secrets of all hearts are known. Your grateful friend, M. J. D. This will repay many a weary hour, said Ruth as her tears fell upon the page. End of chapter 80 Chapter 81 The rain had poured down without mitigation for seven consecutive days. The roads were in a very plastery state. Dissevered branches of trees lay scattered upon the ground. Tubs and hogsheads, which careful housewives had placed under dripping spouts, were full to overflowing. The soaked hides of the cattle looked sleek as their owners' pomatatumed heads of a Sunday. The old hen stood poised on one leg at the barn door, till even her patience had given out. The farmers had mended all the old hoe and rake handles, read the almanac through and through, and worn all the newspapers and village topics threadbare. 
when the welcome sun at last broke through the clouds and every little and big puddle in the road hastened joyfully to reflect his beams the old dr hall started down cellar for his eleven o'clock mug of cider to his dismay he found his slippered pedestals immersed in water which had risen above the last step of the cellar stairs a pretty piece of work this rain has made ms hall said the doctor stamping his wet feet and blowing his nose as he returned from a visit to the lower regions the water has overflowed the cellar and got most up to those hams that you set such store by you'd better tell bridget to climb over the heads of those barrels and get the hams out before they are clean spoiled before the last words had fairly left the doctor's mouth the old lady's cap-strings were seen flying towards the kitchen i shan't do it for anybody exclaimed the new help as she placed her red arms akimbo i'm not going to risk my neck going over those titlish barrels in that dark cellar for all the hams that was ever cured you can carry a lamp with you suggested the old lady i shan't do it i tell you said the vixen help is cursed out here in the country and i can get a new place before sundown if i like katie screamed the old lady with a shrill voice katie katie started from her corner and came out into the entry in obedience to the summons come here katie bridget is as contrary as a mule and won't go into the cellar to get those hams i cannot go in after em nor the doctor either so you must go in and bring them out yourself climb up on those barrel heads and then feel your way along to the further corner go right down the cellar stairs now quick oh i cannot i dare not said katie trembling and shrinking back as the old lady pushed her along toward the cellar door i'm so afraid said the child peeping down the cellar stairs with distended eyes oh don't make me go down in that dark place grandma dark pooh said the old lady what are you afraid of rats there are not more than half a dozen in the whole cellar can't bridget go asked katie oh i am so afraid bridget won't so there's an end of that and i'm not going to lose a new girl i've just got for your obstinacy so go right down this minute rats or no rats oh i can't if you kill me i can't said katie with white lips and clinging to the side of the cellar door but i say you shall said the old lady unclenching katie's hands don't you belong to me i'd like to know and can't i do with you as i like no said ruth receiving the fainting form of her frightened child no doctor doctor said the old lady trembling with rage are you master in this house or not yes when you are out of it growled the doctor what's to pay now why matter enough here's ruth said the old lady not noticing the doctor's taunt ruth interfering between me and katie if you will order her out of the house i will be obliged to you i put up with enough of this meddling and it is the last time she shall cross this threshold you never spoke a truer word said ruth and my child shall cross it for the last time with me humph said the doctor and you know better than a beggar the law says if the mother can't support her children the grandparents shall do it the mother can the mother will said ruth i have already earned enough for their support well if you have which i doubt i hope you earned it honestly said the old lady 
Ruth's heightened color was the only reply to this taunt. Tying her handkerchief over Katie's bare head, and wrapping the trembling child in a shawl she had provided, she bore her to a carriage where Mr. Walter and his brother-in-law, Mr. Gray, with little Nettie, awaited them. The door was quickly closed, and the carriage whirled off. The two gentlemen alternately wiped their eyes, and looked out the window as Katie, trembling, crying, and laughing, clung first to her mother, and then to little Nettie, casting anxious, frightened glances toward the prison she had left as the carriage receded. Weeping seemed to be infectious. Ruth cried and laughed, and Mr. Gray and Mr. Walter seemed both to have lost the power of speech. Little Nettie was the first to break the spell by offering to lend Katie her bonnet. "'We will do better than that,' said Ruth, smiling through her tears. "'We will get one for Katie when we stop. "'See here, Katie,' and Ruth tossed a purse full of money into Katie's lap. "'You know, Mother said she would come for you as soon as she earned the money.' "'Yes, and I knew you would, Mother, but it was so very—' "'And the child's lips began to quiver again.' "'She is so excited, poor thing,' said Ruth, drawing her to her bosom. "'Don't talk about it now, Katie. Lean your head on me and take a nice nap.' And the weary child nestled up to her mother, while Nettie put one finger on her lip with a sagacious look at Mr. Walter, as much to say, "'I will keep still if you will.' "'She does not resemble you as much as Nettie does,' said Mr. Gray to Ruth in a whisper." "'She is like her father,' said Ruth. "'The resemblance is quite startling when she is sleeping. "'The same breadth of forehead, the same straight nose and full lips. "'Yes, it has often been a great solace to me,' said Ruth, after a pause, "'to sit at Katie's bedside and aid memory by gazing at features "'which recalled so vividly the loved and lost. "'And she kissed the little nestler.' "'Nettie,' said Mr. Walter, "'is Ruth second in face, form, and feature.' "'I wish the resemblance ended there,' whispered Ruth with a sigh. "'Those rose-tinted dawns too often foreshadow the storm-cloud.'" End of Chapter 81 Chapter 82 an hour after the conversation narrated in the last chapter, the driver stopped at a fine-looking hotel. "'This is the place, then, where you are going to stay for a few weeks, "'before you leave this part of the country for wherever,' said Mr. Walter. "'Allow me to speak for a dinner for us all. "'Such a day as this does not dawn on us often in this world.' "'And he glanced affectionately at little Katie. "'The party was soon seated round a plentiful furnished table. "'Nettie stopped at every other mouthful to look into Katie's eyes or to kiss her.' while little Katie gazed about bewilderingly, and grasped her mother's hand tightly whenever her ear caught the sound of a strange voice or footstep. "'Will you have some soup, little puss?' said Mr. Walter, after they were seated at the table, pulling one of Nettie's long curls. "'Ask my mother,' replied the child, with a quizzical look. "'She's the superintendent.' Mr. Walter threw up his hands, and a general shout followed this precocious sally. "'Come, come,' said Mr. Walter, when he had done laughing. "'You had begun too early, little puss. Come here and let me feel your head. I must take a phrenological look at you. Bless me, what an affectionate little creature you must be,' said he, passing his hand over her head. "'Stick a pin there now while I examine the rest of your bumps.' 
"'You must not stick a pin in my head,' said Nettie. "'I don't like that way of expressing an opinion.' "'No further examination is necessary,' said the extinguished Mr. Walter. "'I have done with you, Miss Nettie. "'What do you mean?' whispered he to Ruth, "'by having such a child as that. "'Are we going to have another genius in the family?' "'I don't know about that,' said Ruth, laughingly. "'She often says such things when she gets excited and hilarious, "'but I never encourage it by notice, and you must not.' "'My physician told me not to teach her anything, "'and by all means not to let her see the inside of a schoolroom at present.' "'Well, well,' said Mr. Walter, "'Miss Nettie and I must have a tilt at punning some day. "'You had better engage, Ruth, to furnish the knickerbocker "'with smart repartees from his children's table from your own fireside.' "'Prenez whispered Ruth, don't spoil her. Such a child needs careful training. She is high-spirited, warm-hearted, and sensitive. And Ruth sighed. I interpret your thoughts, said Mr. Walter, but we must have no backward glances to-day. Those children will never suffer what you have suffered. Few women ever did. Ruth, for the thousandth time, I tell you, you are a brave woman. Upon my word, said Mr. Walter suddenly, blushing and thrusting his hand in his pocket, I have committed the sin so common to all mankind, carried letters for you round in my pocket all this time without delivering them. Here they are. I never saw a woman have so many letters as you do, Floy. You'll need a private secretary before long. Ruth broke the seal of one, saying, "'You'll excuse me a few minutes,' and read, "'To Floy. "'Dear Madam, we have established a very successful infant school in our neighborhood, "'numbering about fifty pupils. "'Our first anniversary occurs next month. "'It is our intention to gather together the parents and children, "'and have a sort of jubilee. "'Hymns will be sung and short pieces spoken.' "'We should very much be obliged to you "'if you would write us a little dialogue "'to be repeated by two little girls of the age of six, "'something sweet and simple, such as you know how to write. "'We make no apology for thus intruding on your time, "'because we know your heart is with the children. "'Yours respectfully, John Dean, "'Secretary of the Left Bow Infant School.' "'Patience, gentlemen, while I read number two, said Ruth. "'Number two ran as follows. Dear Floy, Old Guardy has sent me up to this academy. I hate academies. I hate Guardies. I hate everything but snipe shooting and boating. Just now I am in a horrid fix. Every fellow in this academy has to write a composition once a week. I cannot do it. I never could. My talents don't lie in that way. I don't know where they do lie. "'What I want of you is to write those compositions for me. "'You can do it just as easy as water runs down the hill. "'You could scratch one off while I am nibbing my pen. "'Old Phillips will think they are uncommon smart for me. "'But never mind. I shall keep dark, "'and you are such a good soul I know you can't refuse. "'My cigars have been out two whole days, "'so you may know that I have no funds, "'else I would send you a present. "'Yours truly,' Hal Anuel. After glancing over this letter, Ruth broke into a merry laugh, and saying, This is too good to keep, read it aloud for the amusement of the company, who unanimously voted Hal Unwell a composition every week for his precocious impudence. 
"'Come now,' said Mr. Walter, as Ruth took up number three. "'If you have another of the same sort, let us hear it, "'unless it be of a confidential nature.' Ruth looked over the letter a moment, and then read, "'Dear Floy, Mama has read me some of your stories. "'I like them very much. "'You say you love children. "'Don't you think we've got a brand-new baby? "'It came last night when I was asleep in my trundle-bed.' It is a little pink baby. Mama says it will grow white by and by. It has got such funny little fingers. They look all wrinkled, just like our maid's when she's been at the wash-tub. Mother has to stay in bed with him to keep him warm. He's such a little cold, shaky thing. He hasn't a bit of hair, and he scowls like everything. But I guess he'll be pretty by and by. Anyhow, I love him. I asked Mother if I might not write and tell you about him, and she laughed and said, I don't know who Floy is, nor where she lives. But Uncle Jack, he gives me lots of candy and dolls, said that I must send it to Floy's publishers. I don't know what a publisher is, and so I told Uncle Jack, and he laughed and said he would lose his guess if I didn't have something to do with them one of these days. I don't know what that meant either, and when I asked him, he said, Go away, puss. I think it is very nice to have an Uncle Jack at Christmas and New Year's, but other times they only plague little children. I wish I could see you. How do you look? I guess you look like Mama. Mama has got blue eyes and soft brown hair, and her mouth looks very pleasant when she smiles. Mama's voice is as sweet as a robin's. So Papa says... Papa is a great big man, so big that nobody could ever hurt me or Mama. Papa wants to see you, too. Won't you write me a letter, a little letter, all to myself? I've got a box made of rosewood with a lock and key on it where I'd hide it from Uncle Jack. That would tease him. Uncle Jack wants to see you, too, but I hope you will never let him, for he's such a terrible tease. He'd plague you dreadfully. I guess our baby would send his love to you if he only knew you. Please write me soon and send it to Kitty Mills, care of Uncle Jack Mills, and please seal it up all tight so he cannot peep into it. P.S. I want you to write a book of stories for little girls, and don't make them in bad because it makes me cry, nor put any ghosts in them because that scares me or have any moral down at the bottom, because Uncle Jack always asks if I skipped it. Write something funny, won't you? I like funny things and fairy stories. Oh, I like fairy stories so much. Wasn't it nice about the mice and the pumpkin and Cinderella? Make them all end well, won't you? Your affectionate little kitty. I suppose you do not feel any curiosity to know what the papers say about your book said Mr. Walter, as Ruth refolded her letters. I have quite a stock of notices in my pocket which I have saved up. You seem to have taken the public heart by storm. You could not desire better notices, and the best of it is they are spontaneous, neither begged nor in a measure demanded by a personal call upon the editors. What on earth do you mean? asked Ruth. "'Look at the spirit of seventy-six flashing from her eyes,' said Mr. Gray, laughing, as he pointed at Ruth. 
"'I mean this,' said Mr. Walter, "'that not long since I expressed my surprise "'to an able critic and reviewer "'that he could praise a certain book, "'which he must have known was entirely deficient "'in merit of any kind. "'His answer was, "'The authoress of that book made a call on me at my office, "'deprecated in the strongest terms "'any criticism in the paper with which I am connected, "'said that other papers would take their tone from mine, "'that it was her first book, "'and that her pen was her only means of support, etc., etc. "'What can a man do under such circumstances?' "'said my informant. "'How could she?' said Ruth. "'Of what ultimate advantage could it be?' it might have procured the sale of a few copies at first but a book like water will find its level but what astonishes me most of all is that any able reviewer should be willing to risk his reputation as a critic by such promiscuous puffery how are the people to know when he speaks his real sentiments it strikes me said ruth laughing that such a critic should have some cabalistic mark by which the initiated may understand when he speaks truthfully it is such a pity continued ruth thoughtfully it is so neutralized criticism it is such a pity too that an authoress could be found so devoid of self-respect as to do such a thing it is such an injury to those women who would disdain so to fetter criticism who would launch their book like a gallant ship prepare for adverse gales not sneaking near the shore or lowering their flag for fear of a stray shot do you know ruth said mr walter when i hear you talk i no longer wonder at hyenthan's lack of independence and common sense his share must by some unaccountable mistake have been given to you in addition to your own but where are the children they looked around katie and nettie taking advantage of this prolonged discussion had slid from the table in company with a plate of nuts and raisins and were holding an animated conversation in a further corner why what a great big mark on your arm katie exclaimed nettie how did it come hush replied katie grandma did it she talked very badly about mamma to grandpa and i started to go up into my little room because you know i couldn't bear to hear it and she called to me and said katie what are you leaving the room for and you know nettie mamma teaches us always to tell the truth so i said because i cannot bear to stay and hear you say what is not true about my mamma and then grandma threw down her knitting and seized me by the arm and set me down oh so hard on a chair and said but you shall hear it then oh nettie i could not hear it so i put my fingers in both ears and then she beat me and left that place on my arm and held both my hands while she made me listen during this recital nettie's eyes glowed like living coals when katie concluded she clenched her little fists and said katie why didn't you strike her katie shook her head and said in a low tone oh nettie she would have killed me when she got angry she looked just like that picture of satan we went and saw in the shop window katie i must do something to her said nettie closing her teeth together and planting her tiny foot firmly upon the floor she shan't talk so about mamma if ooh if i was only a big woman i suppose we must forgive her said katie thoughtfully i won't said the impulsive little nettie never 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 
"'Then you cannot say your prayers,' said the wise little Katie. "'Forgive us, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us.' "'What a pity!' exclaimed the orthodox Nettie. "'Don't you wish that hadn't been put in? "'What shall we do, Katie?' "'Nettie,' said her mother, who had approached unnoticed, "'what did you mean when you said just now "'that you wished you were a big woman?' Nettie hung her head for a minute, and twisted the corner of her apron irresolutely. At last she replied, with a sudden effort, "'You won't love me, Mama, but I'll tell you. I wanted to cut Grandma's head off.' Little Katie laughed outright, as the idea of this Lilliputian combatant presented itself. Ruth looked serious. "'That is not right, Nettie,' said she. "'Your grandmother is an unhappy, miserable old woman.' She has punished herself worse than anybody could punish her. She is more miserable than ever now, because I have earned money to support you and Katie. She might have made us all love her, and helped to make her old age cheerful. But now, unless she repents, she will live miserably and die forsaken, for nobody can love her with such a temper. That is a dreadful old age, Nettie. I think I'll forgive her said Nettie, jumping into her mother's lap. But I hope I shan't ever hear her say anything against you, mother. I'm glad I wasn't Katie. Didn't you ever wish, Katie, that she might fall downstairs and break her neck or catch a fever or something? Oh, mother, what a funny girl Nettie is, said Katie, laughing till the tears came. I had almost forgotten her queer ways. Oh, how grandmother would have boxed your ears, Nettie. The incorrigible Nettie cut one of her pirouettes across the room, and snapped her fingers by a way of answer to this assertion. While Ruth and her children were conversing, the two gentlemen were quite as absorbed in another corner of the apartment. "'It astonishes me,' said Mr. Gray to Mr. Walter, "'that Floy should be so elated by her wonderful success.' "'It will cease to do so when you know her better,' said Mr. Walter. "'The map of life has been spread out before her. "'She has stood singing on its breezy heights. "'She has lain weeping in its gloomy valleys. "'Flowers have strewn her pathway, and thorns have pierced her tender feet. "'The clusters of the promised land have moistened her laughing lip. "'The Dead Sea apple has mocked her wasted fingers.' Rainbows have spanned her sky like a glory, and storms have beat pitilessly on her defenseless head. Eyes have beamed upon her smiling welcome. When wounded and smitten, she fainted by the way. The priest and the Levite have passed by on the other side. Floy knows every human phase of the human heart. She knows that she was none the less worthy because poor and unrecognized. She knows how much of the homage now paid her is due to the showy setting of the gem. Therefore, she takes all these things at their true valuation. Then, my friend, and Mr. Walter's voice became tremulous, amid all these well-done plaudits, the loved voice is silent. The laurel crown indeed is won, but the feet at which she fain would cast it have finished their toilsome earth march. "'It is time we gentlemen were going. Let us talk business now,' said Mr. Walter, as Ruth returned from her conversation with the children. "'How long do you propose remaining here, Ruth?' 
"'For a month or so,' she replied, "'I have several matters I wish to arrange "'before bidding adieu to this part of the country. "'I shall try to get through as soon as possible, "'for I long to be settled in a permanent and comfortable home.' "'I shall return this way in a month or six weeks,' said Mr. Walter, "'and if you are ready at that time, "'I shall be most happy to escort you and your children to your new residence.' "'Thank you,' said Ruth. "'Good-bye!' bye shouted both the children as the two gentlemen left the room. End of chapter 82